Can I take you back to Christmas? Well, not particularly maybe this Christmas, but uh, Christmases in general. Over the course of the last number of years, I've um, kind of talked at Christmas um, from a song um, by Ricky Ross of Deacon Blue, actually. He wrote a song from his brethren Roots, which, um, where, where he talked, it's called Calvary, but it's about Christmas. And, uh, and he talks about how when he was growing up in church, that as soon as the baby was born, we got him on the cross. And the song was Ricky's way to try and say, look, there's a bit of a journey here in between the birth and the cross that we need to take some time over. And I use that often that um, my um, commentary on Ricky's song is that Bethlehem to Calvary is uh, not a route or a route, it's a road. There's a difference. Um, was it Milan Kundera, that, um, the, the novelist, that said there's a difference between a route and a road? Um, routes are very, uh, routes, very American. Um, highways, M1, whatever we want to call it, they're the quickest way to get there. So um, this afternoon, we will take off to the coast and we will take the route, I guess, the M1 pass Palomina. Uh, the shortest little bit of motorway in the entire world on something else that gets narrower and narrower and narrower. But if we were taking the road, if we were, if we had all the time in the world, if we were going the way that we should go, we would get on the coast road and we would really enjoy the road. But we're very get there as quick as we can kind of generation. So we take the route or the M1 or the highway or the motorway or whatever. Kandura says that Life should be more of a road than a route. You discover that in Africa. When you're, um, you're up in the mountains uh, on dirt roads and you see people walking from A to B and they don't walk from A to B, they kind of do C to Z or Z on the way because why would you take the quickest route? Because there are people to see on the slower route that you really need to bump into if your life is going to have life in all its fullness, why would you miss those people or that view? And why would you worry about arriving on time? I'm speaking to the choir. Why would you worry about arriving on time um, when you can have all that other stuff on the road? And so we bring that all back to this journey between Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus in the straw and the cross and the tomb and the resurrection. We don't want to just do the route. We want to take the road. And there's a reason for that. Because the road is important. Jesus' life is important. If all Jesus was doing was somehow taking away the bad things that we do and the sins that we do, then there would have been no need for the road. Probably would have been much more dramatic and emotionally blackmailing to actually have murdered the baby with all the other babies that were murdered around the same time, but God had this reason for Jesus' life. Because the life would teach us the things that the birth and the death and the resurrection were all about. The road was important. The life was important. Now, I'm playing with this, and I'm trying to come up with all kinds of phrases for it but you see to me and this is in my head and I'll never get outside of my head to the pews this morning I'm sure but it seems to me that there's a sort of a a spiritual game we're playing here Um, not a game for the sake of games the most important game 
And that is that we're discipleship pickers. So on this road with Jesus, we're picking things up as we go along the road. And that's our job. When Jesus said to Peter and the boys, follow me. And they started their road journey. And we've done the travel narratives. And then we've been on a journey through Lent. And there's all kinds of journeys and roads in this whole gospel thing. When Peter and the disciples started to follow, they followed on this road with Jesus. And they went from town to town. And we can plot the course of how many towns. And then we can do the travel narrative when when he set his face towards Jerusalem and how we did that. And the, uh, the night that Desi introduced the whole Lenten study, he had us on a bus. Not that the disciples were on a bus, but Desi had us on a bus when he was a young student coming down from the north into Jerusalem. The journey down. The disciples are with Jesus. And as Jesus is going along on this journey, he's telling them things. He's showing them things that they need to pick up in the spiritual basket of their soul. He's saying interesting things like, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. If someone hits you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone asks you to walk the mile, walk the extra mile. Love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. He's talking to a Samaritan woman and he's saying about a Roman centurion, never has there been more faith in the whole, never have I seen more faith in the whole of Israel. He's doing things, he's saying things, and as he's saying them on the journey, the disciples are discipleship pickers up. These are the things that we need to learn. These are the things of the new life. This is what Jesus came to bring in. This is ushering in a new way to be. So as we go on the road, we're picking these things up as we go. Of the new life. The new kingdom. And then we come to Easter weekend. And this is a very, very bad illustration. But it's something like a soul wash, car wash type thing. We're on the road... And on the journey from Bethlehem and then picking up along the Sea of Galilee as we start to follow this Jesus, suddenly we're in this intense place which Philip drew out for us on Friday night in the most remarkable of ways and left us in that incredible silence. That somehow we follow Jesus through the cross, into the tomb and outside of the tomb into resurrection life. We go through The it is finished to the emptiness of the tomb and we come out the other side into this resurrection life. What is the resurrection life? Well, the resurrection life is all the things that we've been picking up in the discipleship basket of our souls on the road to here and through here, to now live. And somehow on that Good Friday... Jesus deals with our past. And somehow on that Easter Resurrection Sunday, Jesus bursts through death into this new life. Like we've used the illustration of baptism. Dead to your sin and then bursting through the waters of new resurrection life. What do we do in this resurrection life? All the things we picked up 
on the journey along the way. And if there is a passage that exegetes the cross, then Philippians chapter 2 that we read earlier is as good a place as any. Here Paul is taking what happened on that Easter week and he's applying it into the relationships of a church in Philippi. This letter is a pretty intimate letter. Um, Paul's being incredibly personal about himself. That's why halfway through he gets into this long testimonial about what he was like and who he was like. And he speaks to the Philippians with a a tenderness. There's a, a suffering going on here because there's an imprisoned Paul, but there's also a joyous rejoicing going on here. Paul is being very much himself in this particular letter because he knows the situation that's happening in Philippi and he speaks into the subjectivity of that, into the everydayness of the relationships that are going on in that fellowship as they meet with the objective truth of Easter. That whole idea of becoming like Christ in our relationships. Because he likes the church in Philippi, but like every church, we all like the church, but like every church, we're human and there's relationship breakdowns and the minister's looking ahead to a new building being opened and he's thinking, how on earth is that going to work? Because 240 people are going to want these kinds of chairs and that kind of carpet and that color of wallpaper and they're going to want to put that in there and they're going to put that one there and they're all going to be the right thing but only one out of the 240 can be picked and how are we going to deal with that? Maybe the church in Philippi had opened a new hall. I don't know, but what Paul's trying to do in the midst of their relational breakdown is bring objective truth rooted And what we've just been through this last week. He says to them. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort from his love. If any common sharing in the spirit. If any tenderness and compassion. Then make my joy complete by being like minded. Having the same love we've just been singing about. Being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul's saying in the church. I want you as a church to live this resurrection life where you will be united even in your differences. Tenderness and compassion. A sense of oneness. Does that echo something for you if you've been reading through the gospel accounts of that Easter week where Jesus had his disciples around him and he was breaking bread with them and he was saying things like, A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. The last words and the intensity of Easter week that Jesus is sharing with his disciples is this desire to love one another. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. All men will know that you're my disciples. All human beings will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And all people will know that I've been sent by you if there's a oneness in Christ. Jesus to the disciples on the week leading up to his death. And then Paul writing to the church in Philippi the same kind of thing. 
But it's not airy-fairy stuff that Jesus is talking about because Jesus is talking about this stuff in the context of what is going to happen in the days that are ahead. And Paul's talking about it and what he's reflecting back on in maybe one of the first hymns of the early church. He's talking about a Jesus who shows us how we might be like-minded, how we might love one another, how we might build this new community, And the answer to how is in that humility of Christ. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. So we're following Jesus on the road. And we've come into Holy Week. And on Friday night, we were looking at how we come into Holy Week on the back of a donkey with songs being sung and palm leaves being waved. And there was a sense of adrenaline rush and expectation. We're going to rule over the whole world the way the world rules. And then as we follow Jesus through the road to the cross, if we're picking up any discipleship stuff in our basket, we see the counterintuitive, the upside down, the inside out, the socially perverse, the culturally subversive. Because what we pick up in our basket over Easter weekend is this. That in a world of winners, in a world of power over others, in a world of fighting back, discipleship is that Jesus is a loser who loses for losers. And can I say I did that and thought for the day on Tuesday morning before Giles Fraser stole it from me. I see the Facebook community of Fitzroy smile. Jesus is a loser. Losing for losers. That's what we've got to pick up on the road. That's what we've got to put in the soul basket of the spiritual. Follow me follow me the table earlier is just that it's a table for losers and we all came to admitting that we're lost and that we're losers and that somehow in this bread and wine the body and blood somehow our failures our guilt our shame, even those things that we haven't yet admitted to ourselves. And the incredible thing about getting older, isn't it great that we start to admit more and more of those things to ourselves? Because actually, we catch on to more and more of those to ourselves. I'm dreading what it's going to be like to be 10 or 15 years older than I am now because it's pretty bad being 53. But the older we get and the wiser we become about who we are, the more we need and realize the need because we're losers. And we come as the lost loser. 
And Jesus dies for losers. We live in very interesting days. And we live in a a period of history where actually Christians haven't had to be losers. For a period of time, we've been winners. And if I speak a little bit more politically for a moment, as Protestant believers in the little piece of land on the little island that we live in, we were particularly winners. We lived in a community, province, country, whatever you call it, that was made for us. We took up arms to make sure it happened. We signed a covenant and said we would do anything to make it happen because we were the Christians who needed to win and rule. We didn't really need humility in certain parts of our history. I was struck going around City Hall. I maybe shared this. I don't think I have. but We were going around City Hall with our young people just a couple of weeks ago. I was struck by the Protestantism of it. The Protestantness. The Britishness. With a Sinn Féin mayor, Arthur Carson, who last week sat on the council mayor's seat for the first time. And up to one side of him was a royal portrait, very British. And to the other side of him, a royal portrait, very British. And the windows were very British. And the Queen Mother sat in that chair back there, and her husband at the time, the King, sat in that chair there. The council chamber's very, very, very British. It was about us. We ruled. 100% we were in charge. Not anymore. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? When you have 100% of the pie and you're no longer the majority in the city, how do we deal with that? Not easily at the moment. If you go to East Belfast and spend much time in some of the communities in East Belfast, they feel that their entire community is being torn apart, that their entire culture is being destroyed. They had 100% of the pie. It's very hard to bring about fairness and justice when you have 100% of the pie and feel at any stage of that justice coming in that you're getting anything. So how do we deal with that? How do we as a church help deal with that? And how do we as a church where Christianity has had its place of power come to terms with some of the phrases our Prime Minister was coming out with this week that didn't seem to have much relevance to what Easter really was about? It's difficult times to be a Christian. But that was it in the first place. We were losers. Losing. 
part of the deal. To win. It is very, very, very upside down. It is very, 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 very bizarre and crazy. But Jesus in that first century hymn in Philippians 2 only gets enthroned because he lost humbly. And as we come down Easter week, as we go into that tomb, and as that stone's rolled away and resurrection life begins, it is the life of people who will be above all humble, emptying themselves to become obedient, obedient to even death and a cross, because somehow in the Jesus that we have followed, Peter's beginning to understand that you put away your swords and you don't fight back because something's happening that is so different that it is the hope of the world. Let us pray. Lord, these are strange ideas. Even in all our Bible reading and all our conferences and church going, these are strange ideas. The humility of Jesus in the world that we live in just seems ridiculous, Lord. And yet, there is something at the heart of this gospel that is about emptying self. Self-sacrifice. Losing for others. Lord, as we come through this resurrection Sunday into this new life, may you shatter our defaults, crack the status quo of a world that has conditioned us into saying where power lies, where success lies, where the future lies and help us once again to get back into the life of Jesus. What he was about. What he said. What he did. And as we come through Good Friday and Easter Sunday, cleanse us and empower us that we might live the life that he taught us to live during his life here on earth. It's a dynamic of dilemma, Lord. It's going to need constant attention. By your Spirit, make us into the people of Jesus, following his way in a world that goes a very different one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.